You are now listening to The Shyest Podcast, when millions of opinions just aren't enough. Bill's season came to a devastating end in Kansas City in overtime, 42-36, to and now it's time for my Buffalo Blues. Hello, Bill's Mafia. It is a somber Monday. I'm sure that many of you are in mourning, much like myself. This is going to be the final episode of My Buffalo Blues for the season after a devastating overtime loss to the Chiefs. It hurts. It hurts a lot. Uh, I don't know that there is a word that describes it well. Uh, heartbreak is accurate. Devastating is accurate. I mean, catastrophic is even a word that I've seen thrown around, and I feel that that's appropriate too, but I still don't quite feel that there is a word that encompasses the unique kind of pain that comes with this game. Uh, The emotional swings down the stretch were just taxing, uh, you know, very, very tough to deal with. And I know that from experience, the emotional trauma of these types of games linger. And there are a lot of people out there, a lot of fans out there who, you know, to them, it's more than just the football game. And I think to the city of Buffalo, it's more than just a game. Uh, That doesn't mean that there aren't things that are more important than football. Um, But I think there needs to be at least some space and some recognition of what this team means to so many people, how deeply the ties to the team and their history and their family uh, matter in the wake of another really just gut punch of a loss. And, you know, I'm fortunate to have a, a good life and a solid foundation and a lot of support away from football season. And I've been a fan of the Bills for a long time, more than 30 years at this point. And I've seen a lot. And it, I don't know that it gets easier to see losses like this. This was very much like the Music City Miracle in the fact that it was a late score that put the Bills ahead. There was less than 20 seconds left in the game and somehow they still lost. I think the difference mainly would be that 
<coughs> excuse me, the Music City Miracle was that. It was a miracle. They pulled off a, you know, a ridiculous trick play that they practiced, and the Bills special team wasn't ready for it, and, you know, that play is still debated today about that, you know, forward pass. Was it or wasn't it? And, you know, it's lingered for 20-plus years, and... I think the new generation of Bills fans now have their version of that. Uh, but in this way, sorry, in this game, you know, you have the lead with 13 seconds left and really everything goes wrong at that point. It wasn't a, you know, a freak play or a, it wasn't it wasn't the same as the Music City Miracle where, you know, it's described as a miracle for a reason. This was a collapse in the final 13 seconds. And I think that's what's going to ultimately sting the most uh, until, you know, the demons of this game get exercised. It was rough, super rough, uh, you know, in the wake of seeing how this game unfolded in overtime. I've heard a lot of, you know protestations, protests regarding changing the overtime rules, uh, you know, comments that Josh Allen and the Bills lost to a coin toss, all kinds of things like that. And at the end of the day, the overtime rules are what they are. You know, it's an interesting conversation to have moving forward. I'm not going to spend too much time on it, but you know, sudden death type rules don't make a ton of sense for football just because of the nature of the possessions. So I could, I, I could see this being brought up in the competition committee and changing it in uh, the off season, and you just play a full extra quarter and whoever has the lead at the end of that quarter wins the game or then you go to the sudden death, something like that afterwards. But... In the context of this game, I, it's not an excuse. Uh, the rules are the rules. They lost the coin toss. All they need to do is come out and get one stop and get the ball back and go win the game. Didn't happen. So it is what it is. And, you know, Josh Allen being the consummate leader that he is for this team, you know, when he talked about it, he, he said pretty much the same thing. Uh, he said something to the effect of, we know the rules, and, you know, if that were us on the other side of it, we'd be celebrating, so it is what it is. And he's right. And, you know, there's been some other things said in the wake of this game about Brian Dable and Leslie Frazier uh, getting getting head coaching interviews uh, in the lead up to this game uh, during preparation week for this game, right? And so there's uh, some talk about the rules of whether or not these assistant coaches should be able to interview for these head coaching vacancies while they're still currently employed uh, for another team. And that is a fair question. I think moving forward, that's something that people will want to address because I think if you look back to last season, Brian Dable was in a position where he was very 
heavily sought after to take on a head coaching job. And then in the AFC title game last year, the Bills offense didn't look so good and he didn't get that job. And I think the same thing may end up happening to Leslie Frazier this season. Uh, and we'll get to the defensive performance in a little bit, but I, I don't want to use that as an excuse either. Uh, because I have no doubt that Leslie Frazier wanted to win that game, that he wanted to avenge the loss from last year, wanted to get the Bills over the hump and into the Super Bowl. So I don't doubt his motivation. I don't doubt his commitment. And beyond that, getting an NFL head coaching job is tough to do, uh, especially for black coaches in the NFL. So I don't begrudge him taking the interviews. And I don't even think Sean McDermott or the players would either, to be honest, if you ask them. I think they support each other and they know how hard it is to get to that position. And they respect what Leslie Frazier has done for them. And I think they would want him to be able to get that opportunity if it was available. So I'm not going to lean on that as a crutch either, as an excuse for why they weren't prepared. There's really no reason they shouldn't be prepared. They know the team they're playing. They've played them a bunch. At the end of the day, you know, despite what you may think about the offensive performance or the defensive performance or the play calls or the schemes or many of the different factors that led to the ultimate result in that game, the Bills had the ball with the lead with 13 seconds left, and it was a winnable game. And Sean McDermott... Uh, I like that he took accountability and responsibility for the way that game uh, panned out at the end. I wish he would have given a little bit more detailed of an answer as to why they decided to play that final kickoff and those last couple of snaps the way they did. But, you know, they're going to talk about that in the locker room and I'm sure we'll hear about it eventually. But for the time being, it's going to be something that is going to be talked about, is going to be discussed and nitpicked and just torn apart. And there's going to be some blame placed on the coaching staff. And he knows that. McDermott, that is. And, you know, he said it starts with me. We didn't execute. And, you know, he's the head of the snake in that discussion. So... Him taking responsibility is important. Uh, if you look at what the long-term goal of the Bills is, and that's winning a Super Bowl, this is the kind of speed bump that, you know, they need to learn from. And I have faith that they will learn from it. It's just hard, you know, it's a hard pill to swallow in a year where it sure looked like the Bills and the Chiefs were the two best teams in the NFL playing in that game last night. So you got to figure that the winner of that game is going to go on and win the Super Bowl. So yeah, it hurts extra in a year where you know that the Bills team is that good. But as much as I, ooh, I don't like to, you know, have to put these words out of my mouth, the Chiefs deserve credit. You know, the Chiefs are a good team. I, I said it before this game that I wanted the Chiefs in this matchup because they are the measuring stick in the AFC. 
and until beaten in the playoffs, they will continue to be that measuring stick. And I didn't want the Bills to sneak past uh, and get through if they weren't good enough. I mean, yes, it would have been nice for maybe the Bills to still get by this game because the Chiefs fell apart, but I think it's better long-term, as much as it hurts today, I think it's better long-term for the Bills to know what they're up against and know the level that they need to play at in order to get to the next stage of their goal. And if they get past the Chiefs, they're in a very good position beyond that to make it to the Super Bowl. But this wasn't the year. And when you look at the kind of landscape of what the AFC looks like, I think the Bills are going to get another crack at it next season. And they're going to have to they're going to have to learn from this game. And, you know, I know it's hard to see the bright side and to see the silver lining. But the good news is there is a lot to learn from this game. Uh, there's a lot to learn from how to play the Chiefs, how to close out games, bunch of stuff. So I guess, you know, I'm not going to go through the entire game play by play like I do sometimes, depending on the game. But we'll start at the end with that late game decision. Like, you know, when the Bills scored that touchdown to Gabriel Davis to take the lead and they kicked the extra point there, you know, there's 13 seconds left in the game and you're kicking off and initially when they lined up to kick it off i'm watching the game saying do not kick this ball to tyreek hill and then i see that it's pringle back there on the return and my mind shifts like kick that ball up in the air or on the ground make them field it and make them run it back if you get beat on a weird Music City Miracle lateral type play again, that's a one in a million play that hopefully you're prepared for at this point with Bill's history. And make them have to do something like that to beat you. Instead, for whatever reason that was not explained, they kick the ball out of the back of the end zone. So the Chiefs start at the 25 with the full 13 seconds. Now there's still only 13 seconds, so you're realistically looking at like maybe three plays, but the Chiefs have all their timeouts and they only need a field goal. And with that kind of time, you gotta think that the Chiefs are gonna play to the field goal. Like you can't just let Tyree Kill or Hartman or one of these guys get behind the defense, but you're gonna be in some sort of uh, prevent look to, to keep the top on the defense. But you also know that they don't need to get the sideline because they have all their timeouts and the coverage looks they gave on Kelsey uh, just I don't know what they were doing um, I honestly don't know what they were doing with Kelsey the whole game but I'll get to that later maybe I'll get to it right now I don't know anyway th those coverage schemes that they decided to bring out in those final 13 seconds just gave way too much time and space with the timeouts to a guy like Mahomes. Uh, Mahomes had played great the whole game. So to think that for some reason, all of a sudden on this particular drive, he wasn't going to find a way to get the ball to like his best players. It's a little suspect. 
So I think it was more of a scheme and an execution thing. Uh, I still, I think the Bills' defensive talent is in the right place. Uh, definitely missed Trey White in this game. Dane Jackson had some issues, uh, had a bad penalty, missed some tackles, missed some coverages. Uh, but it also wasn't just him. Uh, you know, I was trying to look for the stat sheet so I could see the amount of missed tackles that the Bills had as a group in this game because it's got to be at least a dozen. Uh, the Chiefs are a great yak yard team. And we saw exactly why. Because a guy like Tyreek Hill will make you hesitate. And if you make a single mistake on him, he's going to beat you. And he did. Uh, I don't necessarily want to say it's a talent thing. Because I, I like the Bills defense. Uh, they were the number one defense for a reason. But as I had discussed with... Uh, some Chiefs fans in the pregame Twitter space about this you know the Bills hadn't uh, really played a top tier offense besides the Chiefs early in the season and both of these teams were looking very different uh, at this point circling back to Travis Kelsey he didn't have like the kind of like you know crazy crazy game that he could have but he still basically had a hundred had a touchdown had eight catches, had the big catches. And I think just the most disappointing thing there is that he had the game-winning touchdown. He had the first huge chunk play uh, at the end of the game that helped set up field goal range for them. And I think the frustrating part there is that, you know, the two guys that you really needed to take away in this game were not taken out of the game. You know, Tyreek Hill ended up with 11 for 150 and a touchdown. And sure, 64 yards of that came on the one touchdown catch. But even take that away. He's got 10 for 90. Like, and that's still a lot. That's still him getting off. That's still him getting touches, putting pressure on the defense. And, you know, Kelsey still had his touches. You know, so they basically both still had 10. Uh, and... In designing the Bills' defense during the offseason, making the kind of tweaks that they did, I liked what I saw personnel-wise because I thought they were designing a team with athletic edge players uh, to deal with giving Kelsey a little extra chip at the line. Uh... It worked really well in the Tampa Bay game in the Super Bowl. You have to get Kelsey off of his route early, especially when he's lined up on the line of scrimmage. You have to you have to chip him on his way out. And what I saw in the approach was that the Bills, at least in the first half, they're getting pressure, you know, uh, which I'll talk about effective pressure separately, but they were getting after Mahomes, and I think that kind of led them to think that eventually 
they were going to get him, that the pressure would stay up. They would keep switching the D-line in there, keep fresh bodies in there, and just keep the pressure on the homes. And eventually he was either going to make a mistake or they were going to get the sack. And, you know, for a while it looked like that was what was going to happen. But I think down the stretch in the second half of the game, it was pretty evident that they were not going to get home on the pass rush. And they didn't adjust again to trying to chip Kelsey at that point. Um, you know, the Chiefs like to move him around, line him up everywhere. But it, like, if, you, if you're not going to get home anyway, you might as well show some different coverage looks along the defensive line. There was, uh, there was a look late in the game where I think it might have been that, uh, that first play of the the final drive to tie the game for the Chiefs where the Bills are rushing for when, you know, they know full well they're not going to get to the quarterback because that ball's got to come out really quickly. So that was a situation where it's like the lack of adjustment in their philosophy defensively bit them in the ass for the number one overall defense in football to go out like that um, really stung particularly deep Uh, you know the Bills earned that number one defense through a long season Uh, but aside from the Chiefs you know they really didn't face uh, a top tier offense and you know the the Colts even you know their offense wasn't like top tier some mistakes in that game whatever but you know they gave up 40 points there they gave up uh you know another 30 to Tampa Bay so they faced you know two legitimately elite offenses or top tier quarterbacks leading those offenses and you know they got some points hung on them in some bad spots uh still a couple of those were one score games and losses but you know ugh, it's just it's rough because n- nobody on the defense had a particularly uh great game i thought ed oliver played really well uh looked like he was getting grabbed a lot along the interior and without that getting called i think i think they maybe got called for a whole one time but despite uh constant pressure it just never mattered and you know I had a conversation with I don't know some random person on Twitter about quarterback pressures being kind of a, a weird stat because the Bills led the league in pressures but how good is a quarterback pressure when the quarterback is breaking the pocket and just turning that into a positive play uh, and the measure of what an effective pressure actually is versus just the combination of hurries and quarterback hits and knockdowns or whatever pressures are Um, because I mean they definitely made Mahomes hurry and Mahomes just showed how great that he really is and those plays that he made early in the game to basically bail them out over and over again under heavy pressure mind you um you know, that just changed the course of the game. Him being able to do that kind of took the Bills' game plan of getting to him off the table. 
and the adjustments just you know weren't there enough down the stretch. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how Buffalo wants to address that heading into uh, the off season, because heading into this season, you know, there was a lot of uh, sizable contracts on the books anyway that I would have been okay parting with to free up some cap room. Uh, but you know, those are going to be free agent contracts this year. And you got Jerry Hughes, Mario Addison, Vernon Butler combined taking up close to $30 million in cap room. Those are some big contracts to get off the books. So nothing personal against Jerry Hughes. Uh, or any of these guys, really. I've seen Jerry Hughes play for a long time for the Bills. You know, he's one of the the OG Bills from, you know, the, the drought era. So I've seen a lot of Jerry's career. And I like him as a player. But if his contract's going to be $10 million, then that's something that the Bills serious need seriously need to take a look at and I think if you look at his performance in this game in particular uh, I don't think they're going to be able to justify 10 million dollars Jerry Hughes got a lot of snaps early Uh, he was creating a lot of pressure for sure and you know having a veteran like that and in a moment like this I know they wanted to get him out there and to get him some opportunities I mean he lost discipline on Mahomes several times and Mahomes was able to break that uh, pressure and make something out of the play. And Hughes ends up finishing the day with zeros in every category. So as much as I like Jerry Hughes, you they're not going to be able to pay him $10 million for that. Um, and ultimately, uh, I can't think of his name. Vernon Butler, same thing. Uh, I, he, I don't think he even played. Um, so they're not going to be able to justify that contract at seven and a half million. I mean, he's only 28 years old or so. So maybe there is a future if they rework a deal with him. And then, you know, Mario Addison is 34, 35 now as well. And he had, he had an okay day, but he just wasn't getting home in the way that the bills needed from their pass rush. And I'm looking here to see if I can find anything. And I don't see anything for Addison either. I don't think he had a tackle. You know, I might be misreading it. I might just be blind from staring at these numbers over and over again. But I don't see him with a tackle either. So just those two guys alone is $20 million and an empty stat sheet. And obviously, you know, stats aren't everything. But results do matter. And the fact that there was no ability to get to Mahomes and bring him down, that is absolutely going to have to be a consideration in the cost versus reward evaluation uh, for some of these defensive veterans moving forward. You can free up a lot of space uh, cap-wise, maybe make a move somewhere else, maybe just invest uh, more draft capital in some linebackers and some uh, younger DNs. I like F.A. Obata. Uh, he's 
fairly affordable in terms of the other guys on this list. Say bring back him, Phillips, Zimmer, uh, and then retool around those three guys. Maybe draft another defensive end, uh, get some linebacker depth. And, you know, while I'm at it, you've got Emmanuel Sanders here on the list at 35. And I don't know that he even wants to play again beyond this. Um, so it'll be tough in terms of his, his negotiation. If Trubisky doesn't have the opportunity to get a starting job somewhere, I say re-sign him because having a valuable backup is important. There's always the chance that Josh Allen gets dinged on one of these runs and you're going to need a capable backup to win some games in the middle of the season. So I like keeping Mitch around. Uh, Bodger is affordable. Levi Wallace is affordable. His market value will probably go up uh, because he had pretty good season in Trey White's absence so I say probably keep him around find a way to keep Isaiah McKenzie around for sure uh, he's going to be too valuable uh, Saran Neal I like him as a, a depth piece definitely find a way to keep Bates he's a restricted free agent but definitely find a way to make that happen I like Tyrell Dodson too uh, so I think there's a lot of affordable contracts out there for the Bills while purging some of their more expensive veterans and you know again it's nothing personal against these guys uh but the contracts they're gonna be asking for at the end of this season are not gonna be cheap so if you're gonna if you're gonna keep them around then there's definitely gonna have to be a, a extended conversation about restructuring the kind of deal that they're giving these guys because they had 11 defensive linemen I think on the roster and I want to say that only Zimmer was actually uh, like injured I'll double check that while I am here but yeah Zimmer was on IR and I really like Zimmer he's got a high motor uh, yeah so he's the only one that was out out uh, so all these other guys Russo, Epinesa, Obata, Oliver, Butler, Phillips, Star, Jerry Hughes, Mario Addison, Boogie Basham. Like, there's so much depth there, and I get the idea of what they're trying to do. But if the results aren't there, how long can you invest in this idea? So, even if you just get, even if you just got, got rid of the expensive veteran contracts in Hughes, Addison, and Butler, you go from 11 linemen down to 8. So, you still have a pretty good, deep rotation. Um, but the Bills are fairly thin at uh, linebacker depth uh they only have six total linebackers so if there's a couple injuries along that line you know they're thin in a hurry uh so maybe maybe restructure how you want to balance out the defensive rostering um and go from there uh offensively like <laughs> there's nothing to complain about but the bills josh allen's amazing they looked fantastic in that game little little weird that they started the second half as conservatively as they did I think uh I think Allen was 15 of 18 in the first half and there was a point where it was like either early third quarter or, or sorry early fourth quarter late third quarter where I think he had only thrown two passes in the whole second half at that point so it was getting a little weird that they just weren't throwing the ball aggressively and you know I think they got behind because of that so Maybe just, you know, take a look at offensive philosophy. Brian Dable may not be there 
after this season. So it's it's tough to say what this offense is going to look like, but I think they have their identity intact. If Emmanuel Sanders ends up leaving, you still have Cole Beasley for a couple years. You still have Diggs. You still have Davis. Resign McKenzie. Maybe Stevenson starts getting worked into the offense. Maybe Sanders wants to resign on a you know, restructured veteran deal. Maybe you draft another wide receiver. I mean, it's just it's unfortunate that John Brown had to go as a cap casualty this season because he's a good fit with this offense and now he's on Tampa and who knows what happens with him next season but if you could bring him back maybe if you need a receiver that wouldn't be the end of the world at all um but yeah offensively no complaints like the Bills the Bills played as good of a game as you could possibly ask for on offense and it just it wasn't enough The Chiefs are still the team to beat in the AFC for now. Uh, I think if you look at the totality of the game and where the Bills maybe had some deficiencies, it's going to provide them with the right kind of platform to learn and move forward. You know, there's been a lot of talk about Tremaine Edmonds' play this season and he wasn't the answer to Kelsey at all. Uh, the Bills got gouged on some runs as well. And they play a lot of nickel, so it's bound to happen sooner or later. Uh, but, the, you know, to have the number one defense and to give up 500 yards of offense, to give up 7.6 yards per play, and to not be getting that back on the other end. I think the Bills still had like 425 or so yards of offense, so good offensive day for them as well. But one stop here, one stop there, one play here, one play there. Trey White missing definitely hurts. But, you know, if they're fully healthy and you got, uh, if you bring back Levi and you have Jackson and White and Johnson and you still have Hyde, you still have Poyer, you still have a really good secondary. I just, I think, shore up the linebacker positions philosophically change the way you maybe want to play the linebacker position uh you know this matchup's coming again at some point next season you have to adjust to the way that you play Travis Kelsey for sure as much as I like Matt Milano as a player he is not the answer to guarding Kelsey in man coverage uh so either you're gonna need to get a linebacker or a safety that can line up and play Kelsey, uh, against Kelsey one-on-one -on -one, or you're going to have to change your linebacker philosophy to create some bumps at the line of scrimmage and some smaller windows to throw into and to just keep hitting Kelsey and make him wear the physical uh, burden of the kind of production that he wants to have. Ugh, such a frustrating way to go out. Uh, the Bills are clearly right there at the precipice of being a Super Bowl team. That loss is going to sting particularly bad for a while. Uh, but, you know, the writing is on the wall for what needs to be done to get to the next level. And they're right there. They are, I'm telling you, they're so close. And I know there's a lot of people that are going to struggle to deal with the kind of like emotional roller coaster that that game was and the kind of gut punch ending that it provided but 
I'm, I'm telling you right now, it will be worth it. When the Bills finally win that Super Bowl, and Josh Allen is going to win a Super Bowl for the Bills, when they finally do and they hoist that Lombardi trophy, it will be worth it. I promise you. So until next time, until next season, Bills Mafia, I love you. It's a tough, tough end to the season, but it's such a great fan community. I have been so honored to be a part of it. I've met so many amazing Bills fans just this season. Uh, It's such a great community. It will be worth it. I promise you, as always, take care, stay safe, and go Bills. Thanks to everyone who took the time to listen to the episode. If you enjoyed it, please help me out by liking, subscribing, sharing, wherever you get your podcasts. This show is an extension of thescheiss.com. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, you can contact me at info at And until next time, be well, stay safe, and go Bills. <laughs>